0: Good morning, church. My name is Aaron Elmore. I'm the lead pastor here at the Kirk. I want to express some gratitude before I begin this morning. Um, First of all, I'd like to thank our worship ministry for leading us in such joyful, uh, Christ-centered, gospel-focused worship this morning. It was really a blessing. And uh, our sermon today actually is going to be on the gospel. And so I want to caution you. Some of you may think, Hey, okay, I've heard this before. It's basic evangelistic sermon. Yes, you, if you've heard the gospel before, you need to hear it again. We never move on past needing to hear it, and there's a lot here for you, so I just encourage you to pay attention. I think you'll get a lot. So, I also want to express gratitude to our Kirk Assist team uh, for the good work they're doing. Just recommend to you all, if you have the ability to give extra gifts to that, it is a wonderful ministry. It's a very focused way that we are uh, being the hands and feet of Jesus. And I'm uh, grateful to Julia this morning for reading such a long scripture passage. Uh, they asked me to shorten it for the reader, but it's a sermon and I just didn't feel right cutting off a preacher in the middle of his sermon. This didn't seem right. So we just had to read the whole thing. Well, this fall, uh, my family, we've been enjoying this weather and the outdoors. We've been able to go in the last couple of weeks to the gathering place. We went to the Tulsa Zoo. Uh, We also most recently went to the Tulsa State Fair and we created a lot of good family memories. It's also been a lot of really good people watching. a, A lot of fun people watching and, you know, we tend to gravitate, we notice the people that are more similar to us in a similar stage of life. So I'm always observing out in these public places, other families and their dynamics, and uh, of course I could share with you some of the jaw-dropping negative things that I have seen, but <laughs> you've all have probably heard enough bad news this week already, so I'll focus more on the positive side of that. So one quick story, we were at the gathering place, it was very crowded, there's families trying to get out of their cars, cross the street, just a constant flow of cars, so we stopped to let this family cross the street. And the mom did that kind of classic signal, like, you know, nodded, looked at you, thank you, and so to go across the street. The best part about it, though, was all the kids. Each individually did the same exact thing, like the same hand gesture, nod, like looked exactly like their mom. It was so great. As just thinking about how our children become like us for better or worse, don't they? And your family culture is extremely important. Not just the explicit things that you teach them, but but the, the values and the things that you model. And our kids. They have no other experience in the world other than what they see, and they observe from us. They watch how to do life by looking to us, and they become like us. Of course, until they become teenagers, and then there's a stage where you have to differentiate yourself from your parents, which is important too, but that's a whole other topic for another day. We become like our family and it 's true spiritually that that is what we 're created for. We were create created to be in god 's family and to become like the family of God, and to resemble to reflect our father 's values in, the, in his heart and the things that he loves and so as the people of God, we reflect this family culture and we reflect our family mission and part of our DNA is that we are a people who are for the world because we serve a God who is for the world. Amen? We are part of a family with a Father who loves the world, who relentlessly pursues the world with His grace and with His mercy. And so as we're launching into this series still, we just want this framing idea that why are we for the world? We are for the world because God is for the world. That's all we need. We want to be like our father by being a people that are for the world. It's also important that we understand that this mission was not a new idea for the church. That's not when the mission of God dropped is when the church started. This mission to be for the world is in fact God's very heart and mission from the very beginning of history. So just a quick overview, going all the way back to the early pages of the Bible. Genesis chapter 12. God told Abram, I'm going to bless you, and through you, I'm going to bless all nations on the earth. God is for the world. And then coming to the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, all ethnicities, and baptize them and teach them, and surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. And then at the beginning of the book of Acts, The mission is empowered by the Spirit and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea further out and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then going to the very end of the book, the end of the story, Revelation 7, 9, we have this incredible vision of heaven. And after this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every tribe and tongue and nation and people group gathered before the throne of God and worshiping the Lamb. This is where we're headed, folks. That's the vision. Going to be all kinds of people gathered together, worshiping God. And so the mission of God did not begin with the church. It has always been God's mission for his people, and in fact, his people are the very mission. His mission is to create a people who will know him and worship him and represent him to the rest of the world and extend his grace. And so often we'll talk about God giving a mission to his church, which is true, but it might be even more accurate to say that God created a church to fulfill his mission. The mission actually comes first, scripturally. And then God delivers it over to his church This mission that he's had from the very beginning. We are a people who are for the world because God is for the world. And so this morning we're continuing in this sermon series. We're calling it For the World. Remember, that's just one piece of our mission statement, which is that we are a Christ-centered community for you, for Tulsa, and for the world. That's who we are. We are a people that's for the world. And the cool thing about being for Tulsa, as I've said to you before, is being for Tulsa is actually being for the world. Because the world lives in Tulsa. It's incredible. About a million people live in this area that we call the Tulsa metro area. And they're from all over the world. So we can be for the world by simply going across the street. But I also hope next year as we relaunch our mission program, that some of you for the very first time will get on a plane and you'll go somewhere far to the ends of the earth and you'll realize that you're stepping into something that God has been God's heart all along, which is to take his gospel to the ends of the earth. And you'll participate in that in a very tangible way. And even if you don't go, that you'll be praying for the teams that you'll be giving, you'll be supporting, that will all be a part of this mission for the world. So one more framing idea before we get into our text this morning from Acts 13. Uh, there's a book, a commentary that I've been reading uh, by a guy named Albert Moeller. And uh, it's called Acts 13 to 28 for you. This is a great series, by the way. They don't have all of the Bible covered. But if you're doing a Bible study, you're leading anybody through the Bible or even just doing your own study. It's a great series. The for you series It's by the good book company. It's coming from a reformed perspective. They're really good. They're 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 explaining the scripture, but they're not incredibly hard to read i'm not gonna say it's easy reading right it's not a novel but but they're easier and more accessible so this four-year series is great and al muller in the for you commentary on the second half of acts he says there's three things the church needs in our mission to bring good news to the world and we learn them from the second half of acts the first is zeal If we're going to step into this calling to take the gospel to the world, we have to have a zeal for God and a zeal for his gospel. Because otherwise we're not going to have what's needed to push through the inevitable opposition and challenge that will come. And they faced it in the book of Acts, and every generation has faced a certain measure of challenge and of opposition to the gospel. And we need a zeal if we're going to continue to carry the gospel into our culture and our day and time and the days ahead. Am I right? We need that. You know, one of the things that uh, I promised... When I became ordained as a pastor in this church, we have to stand before the congregation and before God, and we have to say yes to like 14 things. It's crazy. It's a whole litany. You promise to do this and this and this. And one of the things that we have to promise to do is that we have to promise that we will be faithful to the Scriptures and that we will shepherd this church no matter what opposition or hardship or persecution may come against us. I had to stand up in front of you and made that promise. And the gospel demands no less on you as a Jesus follower. It takes a radical zeal to follow Jesus and to proclaim Jesus no matter what opposition may come against us. We need a zeal. And I think that if God were writing a specific letter to the church in the United States, and and again, I'm not presuming to know the mind of God or writing additional scripture here, but I think if he were writing a letter to us like he wrote to churches uh, in the book of Revelation, specific messages, I think one of the things he would say to us in the church in America is that we have a lack of zeal. With a lack of zeal. We're soft. We're weak. I say that lovingly. We are comfortable. When you read the book of Acts, you see you gotta have zeal if you're gonna carry out the mission that God has given us. But look, it's not it's not on us. The second thing you gotta have is power. You have to have the power of the Holy Spirit to carry out the work that God has for us. The gospel filling us and the power of the Spirit. Every day we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit for the living of these days. And the third thing we need is trust. We need an unshakable trust in the sovereign power of God to believe it's His mission and His story and He will empower us and use us for his glory, that he will accomplish his mission in the world. We've got to have zeal and power and trust. So look for these themes as we continue through these first couple or these two chapters here in Acts that we're looking at. And let's remember as we study the book of Acts that it's the story of the church then and now. It's still our story today. We're still in, in some ways living the reality of the book of Acts as God grows his church and launches us into the world. So Paul and Barnabas are now in a city called Pisidian Antioch. I have a map for you. Dan's not the only one that uses maps around here. He, he's better at them than I am, and he draws them better than I do, but I just Googled him. So here's your map. We're in a city called Pisidian Antioch. It's on the, the top end there in a region called Galatia. It's different from the Antioch that was mentioned last week, which is Syrian Antioch. So same name. I'm not sure how that works, but... Uh, they didn't have copyright and stuff like that back then. So, so, we're in a different city. They've made their way already through the island of Cyprus and they're back on shore. They're making their way, uh, getting their steps in with their Fitbits, uh, crossing a lot of ground. And they're in the city in Antioch and they enter the region. And probably Paul would have gone to uh, the leaders at the synagogue and, and developed a relationship with them. And so they knew who Paul was, they knew his credentials. So they're in the synagogue with the congregation, listening to the reading of scriptures. And an official asks Paul, would you, good sir, like to give a word to our congregation? Would you like to give an exhortation? And he goes, actually, in fact, I would. And they had no idea what he was about to say. In fact, they wouldn't have given him the floor, some of them, if they had known what he was about to say. But in God's providence, he's given the floor. And so he gets the attention of the audience he reveals the ethnic diversity of the crowd, being composed of Jews and also believing Gentiles. We're reminded again of the emphasis last week that Pastor Dan talked about. Being for the world requires a willingness and intentionality to reach out to different kinds of people. Not just a willingness, an intentionality to reach out to different kinds of people. So in Paul's sermon, he emphasizes to his audience that God is the God of history. And this story culminates in the arrival of David's greatest son, Jesus, God's promised Messiah, the Savior of the world. We observe how the radical transforming power of God's grace takes an opponent of the gospel, Paul, and makes him a powerful proclaimer of his gospel. And just as God used Paul and his partners, he so now also will use us to bear witness to this Gospel. And so the focus of his sermon is on the gospel, the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus. We can observe a couple of different things about this gospel in this passage. First, we see in Paul's sermon that this good news is from God. Now, that's probably pretty obvious, but Paul goes out of his way to say this is God's story, it is his good news, it is his mission, it's the God of the people of Israel. He chose. And he made them prosper, and he led them out, and he endured their groaning, and he overthrew seven nations and giving them the land. God is the subject of 16 verbs in this section. Paul's saying it was God. God did this. He's the one who chose. It's his plan. It is his mission. He is the central actor in history. And so the sermon Paul gives is scripture-saturated. It's God centered. It's Christ exalting as all preaching should be. Amen. Now, up to verse 23, Paul's audience would have been shaking their head in affirmation. Paul's basically leading them through the story of Israel, through the scriptures. He summarizes 450 years in about three or four sentences. Impressive. Good job, Paul. They're, they're, they're resonating with him. He's talking about David and they're thinking, okay, we're good. But then he has to move beyond that. I say, okay, you thought David was great, but there's one who came who's even greater and Scripture promised that he would come. And his name is Jesus. And he died for the sins of the world. The one that the nation of Israel has longed for has come and he secured salvation, not only for Jews, but for the world. He is the Savior. Now, in the Old Testament, God himself is repeatedly referred to as the Savior. So again, Paul is building on what they already know and believed. And he takes this term and he applies it now to Jesus. He says, Jesus is the one who's come to do the will of the Father. You know the Father, know Jesus. He was sent by the Father. And Paul doesn't spell it out in specifics here, but the promise that he refers to is is almost certainly a reference to 2 Samuel 7, 12, where God promised that, Promised David that he would raise up an offspring from his line and that God would establish his kingdom. Now, the point of observation here is that we can learn from Paul about his apologetic method. In other words, how to connect with people. He starts by building on common ground. He says, okay, you believe this. Now let's go from there. Let's build on that knowledge. And that's how we have gospel conversations with people. We have to get to know them, what they do believe, the points of, of commonality that we can have. You've got to start somewhere. You don't just come in throwing arguments at people. That's not what Paul did. He built upon what they already knew and believed. We can do the same. We can ask questions. We can learn. We can show interest. Find those pain points in people's life. Find out the reasons maybe that they don't believe or that they've walked away from a relationship with God. We have to learn. We have to be curious. We have to get to know them. And Paul does this. He builds on what they would have already known and believed. But yet he also pushes through and he doesn't leave them in their current level of knowledge. He pushes them to believe the uniqueness about Jesus. Jesus. He says, you believe this, let me tell you there's more. Let me tell you where this leads to. And that takes courage, it takes conviction, and it did for Paul, and it does for us. This gospel comes from God. It is his gospel, but it is about Jesus. Paul's focus in this section is on the good news about Jesus. He cites several verses from Psalms and Isaiah, showing the specific ways that the prophecies about Jesus were fulfilled in his life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. And in particular, his focus here is on the resurrection. Because that's the cornerstone. That's the foundation. That's the linchpin of the argument. Paul said elsewhere, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, the whole thing falls apart. The resurrection is proof that Jesus is who he said that he is. It's proof that his sacrifice was sufficient to pay the penalty for sins. It's proof that he is the promised one, the Messiah, the one that the people had hoped for. It's proof that Jesus is our ultimate hope. But let's stop and think about this for just a minute. How wild this whole thing is the church, the people of God, we have been swept up into a movement that has spanned thousands of years and people living in all different places all over the globe and men and women and boys and girls and rich and poor and powerful and needy, people from different ethnic groups, people who eat different kinds of food, have different languages, The gospel has brought all of these people together under this crazy life-changing truth that a man died and he rose again and that changes everything. Amen? That's wild. And some people say it's a hoax. It's all made up. It's just a big social experiment. Listen, I'm sorry. You cannot explain the phenomena of the church by saying that it's a hoax. You cannot explain this crazy reality that all these different kinds of people across thousands of years have believed this truth and have lived their life according to this truth and changed everything about the way they lived and a place that's at the center of their lives. So many different kinds of people with different backgrounds and experiences believing this. The only way that the church is true is because it's the miraculous power of God that caused the church to be born and to grow and to be what it is today and the power of God will take it to the end. Her, us, the church. That's the only way you can explain it. It's the most rational, logical conclusion. You can't explain the church. I mean, it's just this crazy thing. It's true. It's true and it's real. But beyond it being true for all of us, it being a corporate thing, the gospel is good news for you, for all of us. It's personal. It's more than personal, but it is personal. It is for you. This good news is for you. Look at the language that Paul uses in his sermon. He says, fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is too Us, this salvation has been sent. We tell you the good news when God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us their children by raising up Jesus. Friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. To you. Whoever you are, whatever your background is, whatever mistakes you made yesterday, the ones you'll make later today, the ones you'll make the rest of your life, no matter who you are, this gospel is for you. It's for you. And yet, it also demands that we respond to it. The gospel demands a response. Paul says here, there's only two Possibilities. There's only two responses to this gospel. Jesus does the same thing all the time in his ministry. He says there's sheep and there's goats, there's wheat and there's weeds. He says there, there are two approaches to God you believe in God and you surrender your life in worship and obedience, or you reject God, and that there are consequences to that. There's only two possibilities here. Look, he says here, here's the response. Verse 38, friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. And belief in Scripture doesn't just mean, okay, I believe that this person existed. It's not just an intellectual assent to a piece of information. Belief means faith, it means surrender, it means obedience. It means believing, but not just believing, but living in response to that. And it begins through repentance. Earlier in the book of Acts it says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Paul's main point is clear. Forgiveness is offered through God, through Jesus Christ. It's a total forgiveness from all sins without exception. And it's A righteousness that can only come from God. It can't come from the law. It can't come from being good enough. You can't be good enough. It's by grace. It's through faith. It's through Jesus. This is the good news. You're called to repent. That just means turn away. Turn away from trying to live life on your own. Turn away from rebellion, from disbelief in God, and believe. You may say, Pastor, I I want to believe, I just don't. Maybe that's where you are this morning. I want to believe, but I I just don't. I can't get there. Pray and ask God. God, would you give me belief? Lord, would you help me in my unbelief? Would you help me to believe in you? God, I'm not even sure if you're there, but would you be willing to cry out to a God who might be there and say, God, would you help me to believe this incredible truth that you sent your son? God, I want to believe. God, change my desire to believe because the other response is rejection verse 40 Paul quotes from the prophet habakkuk an urgent warning directed against those who refuse to believe he says take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you look you scoffers wonder and perish for i'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe even if someone hold you. So you're either a believer or you're a scoffer. You either repent and turn to God or you reject. Those are the two options. You can't be neutral towards Jesus. You can't just say that Jesus was a good, nice guy. He was a good teacher. No, he claimed to be the son of God. And you believe that or you don't. You have a hard time believing that that God would send his son into the world. Yeah, everybody had a hard time believing it. And God said, I'll prove it to you. You're going to nail him to a cross? I'm going to bring him back from the dead. It's the proof. This morning there are going to be folks available after the service to pray with you about anything going on in your life. But I want to encourage you. if You've never made the step of faith. You've never surrendered all of who you are to all of who God is. You've never repented and turned away from trying to do life on your own Maybe you just want to have a conversation with somebody. Maybe you want to pray with someone That you might be able to believe that or maybe you're ready to make that decision And you want to place your faith in christ. We have Prayer ministry team members who are going to be available after the service and it's over in our library It's totally discreet. We're not going to ask you to come forward or raise your hand or do any of that But there are folks many of them elders in our church. They want to pray with you this morning or if you have someone in your life you know that needs the gift of faith. You want to pray on their behalf. Come and pray. Take advantage of the opportunity to come and receive prayer. It's just off to your right as you go that direction. There's signs to get you there. I encourage you. Whatever you need prayer for, receive prayer this morning. But especially if you're considering the claims of Jesus and you want to learn more, go, have a conversation. Pray with someone. Would you pray with me this morning as we all pray together? Father, I pray that you would help us to believe this good news. Maybe we believed it for many years, but I pray that it would be new and fresh in our hearts, that you would give us a new zeal and a new power from your Holy Spirit that would fill us and give us a boldness and a clarity and the ability to communicate what you've done for us during these incredibly confusing and tensious times in our world. God, would you help us to be your good news people? God, help us to point people to you. Help us to reflect the DNA and, and the values of our family culture. Help us to be a people who are for the world. Help us to be a church that is for the world, that we can be a city on a hill. We can be a light to our city and a light to the world. That There's grace and there's hope and there's forgiveness and mercy found in God and it comes through the person of Jesus Christ. God, help us to believe, help us to share, help us to have boldness. Father, we love you, and we trust you, and it will be for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.